the Standing Orders podcast. Welcome to this latest edition of the Standing Orders podcast with me, Dr. Thomas Foreman, and my co-host, the Emeritus Mayor, Sue Lorne, who hasn't joined yet. Okay. <laughs> and and my co-host, the Emeritus Mayor Sue Lorne. Good morning, Sue. <laughs> Hello. God, this is really smooth, isn't it? Um, so <laughs> we're forty you, seconds in of me thinking you joined when you hadn't. I was sure you were there when I looked, and then when I looked again, you well, went. I thought I had, and then I I'm paused. Yeah, I don't are you think paused? for the first time either. Um, <laughs> How are you? Is the answer by any chance? I'm fine. Thank oh, you. I was expecting fine and dandy. No, I'm not going to do that anymore. Oh, okay. I'm a little bit fine and dandy. Thank you for asking. Lovely. I'm glad to hear it. Have you had a good day so far? Yes, it's been a busy day, but it's been a good day. Thank you. How's your day been? What have you good. been up to today? Yes, my day's been very well. Well, I've been very busy with work and with meetings, but it's been a really good day and I'm actually feeling nicely chilled. So we aren't going to talk about anything in this podcast that's going to raise my blood pressure, are we? 50 pence says we do. Oh, yeah, 50 pence says we definitely <laughs> do. Um, so, okay, so, so what was on your list of things that you wanted to discuss? Well, I'm um, I'm not sure if this is old news now, but um, I wanted to know your views on the 20 mile per hour streets. In that's uh, come, Has it come into being in Wales or is it about to come in? No, no, it's it's come in. Um, I think it was a couple of weeks ago um, that it, it first came in. Okay, well, as as a as a man and a boy racer, what do you think about the? No, I can't ever imagine you being a boy racer. Actually, um, what do you think of this twenty miles per hour? I don't agree with him. Um, I I I don't think it twenty miles an hour like generally create safer roads than 30. Um, I can see outside schools. I can see in specific areas. I don't think having it as the default going from 30 to 20 in a lot of residential areas is actually required. I think that cars now are far safer, far better, um, and far more equipped to stop suddenly and to basically be safe for pedestrians. If anyone does get hit by a car now, their chance of survival is far, 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 far greater than it was 30 years ago. You know, cars have come on so far, car design has come on so far, that actually I personally think that we should have motorways with much higher speed limits Mm. and we should keep the speed limits in built-up and residential areas the same and have 20 outside schools because I think people switch off and so if you see 20 everywhere, yeah. you go 30. If you see 30, <laughs> you, you tend to kind of mm. then, well, no, but then you come down do to you? 20 because you recognise it. Well, I do. No, I think, well, do I you? don't, I, I'm thinking about this now. I mean, you live on a, you live on a street with a school. Do you always go 20 or do you try and knock them over? 
<laughs> well, I think that we did discuss once um, uh, many moons ago how we had tried to um, to make this uh, the, the the road that we I live on um, closed during school times for the children's safety. But um, no, if I'm if I'm driving out in the morning and the children are there, then obviously I'll go as slow as I possibly can. But whenever I'm the children are in school or you know is 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 not school day and there's not many people around, then I probably will go at twenty to get you know it's only just a short road. But I have to just tell you that until last year or maybe the year before, I had to do a speed awareness course and I didn't ask if I could do it on no. my own. I I was happy to to, to be in company to do this. <laughs> you but did, I, did I did do it on Zoom. <laughs> but I'd always assumed that it is automatically 20 miles an hour around wherever there's a school. I used to think that it was 20 miles an hour wherever there was a street street lamps. I'm sure that's what my driver told no, me 30. yeah but i'm sure that's what my driving instructor told me many many moons ago that if there's street lamps you go at 20 if there's not then you can then obviously but then i suppose maybe nowadays no. there's more street lamps than what there was but um, Le- legally yeah. the regular street lighting means yeah. 30 rather than 20. well at least in in england yeah. it does god knows what it means in Wales. <laughs> I know, I know. but i i know that now <laughs> um so but i i just think that even going at th- you know, if I suppose it's easy to sit and say, oh, just use your common sense. Um, but if you're driving along at four o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning and there's no other cars around, why would you possibly stay at 20 miles an hour whenever you could easily do 40 and be perfectly safe? Yeah, I think, I mean, going back to the school streets um, thing, I, I will say never do you get more abuse than when you're stopping people being able to literally park in the entrance doors yeah. of the school. Um, and I think that's, well, no, I think that's why we withdrew staff from volunteering yeah. their time to do it, um, was when they were getting called every name under the sun and people started to get quite uh, quite agitated. But you came along to it. And, and took the abuse. And, you know, lo and behold, no, no one, well, no one takes you on, <laughs> do they? I mean, <laughs> there was a couple who thought that they, they, they would think that was quite a good idea. But but no, I th- the reason why we did it was because there's certain, and it's, it's Saying that is not the residents who live in those streets that are um, causing the problems. It's not. It is the actual parents dropping the kids off to school. Oh well, yeah, it is. So the parents obviously get. And I remember we did. And I may have mentioned this before. I remember we we kind of when we first started taking action, and we initially suggested road closures outside this specific school, and we were told by the highways authority. No, we're not supporting that. That's not what we do road closures for. Five years later, we're going to do road closures outside that school. Wow, what a wondrous idea. I wonder where yeah. that came from. And so we helped them in, and yeah. did it with um, Sustrans, the, the charity. Um, and I remember that when we initially did it, we had, um, I think it was an ITV documentary yes. program. No, well, I say documentary, you know, one of these people that dramatise everything. It was Parking, parking Wars. Wars. Parking, parking Wars. Wars. And I, re- I remember me doing my, you know, my walk up and down the road for the camera. It was yeah. very good. Um, and then they and cut it. I really nailed that walk. 
Well, yeah, they did. Um, and they cut it because we kind of resolved it in mm. part with the, with the help of the county. But I remember they interviewed people outside the school and they went there at like 8.30 and spoke to the parents who were all parked, like double yeah. parked, and there were kids nipping out between it and people doing emergency stops. And they went and spoke to this, this, uh, this woman who parked abysmally and said, um, you know, why have you parked like this? Why have you driven your kid to the school? Why didn't you walk? And she said, oh, because I've just finished a night shift and I'm falling asleep. And it's like... You have just finished night shift. You're falling asleep behind the wheel and you decide the best thing you can do is go and drive outside a school. And you just think, you know, there's absolutely no kind of insight into their own actions with some people. And, you know, unfortunately, they they cut it. But I think it just goes to show what people are like on the roads. And I don't think anyone's going to abide by 20 miles an hour. How on earth are you going to place that? No one... You know, that is... that is. Well, just... I think in the same way you do 30, but no one follows 30. No. Everyone does 35. <gasps> everyone does 38. You know, no one follows 30 except, obviously, me. Um, and so, you know, I, I just don't think that other than making a lot of people... Really and, and it will be. It will cause um, more road rage than anything, I think. Like this this afternoon, I was going um, down to our local little shops at Riverside and no kidding, there was a car, two cars in front of me, and the car was literally going at 20 miles an hour all along Yarmouth Road, down past the football ground. And it was so slow. And there was at one time there was a bike in front of this car, and she pretty much stopped because she wanted to, I don't know why she stopped, but she just wanted to let this bike get so far in front of her before she would overtake. Anyway, I got to the traffic lights and I was going one way. She was going, thank goodness she was going the other way. And whenever I looked at this person, and I don't mean this disrespectfully to any elderly driver, oh God, because there's some, you know, some fantastic drivers. <laughs> well, you've, you've just told me what's wrong with the person. <laughs> but, no, but I'm saying this to no. any people who shouldn't be driving. No, 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 no. But this lady, this little woman, must have been closer. Did, closer did you to, just use the term? No, but she, I'm, going, I'm going to explain that in two seconds. So she was tiny. And she could only just see over the, um, the the steering wheel. Steering wheel? Sorry? Are you still there? No, I, I, yeah, I just said steering wheel. Yeah, so wheel. This, she was just literally just able to see over the top steering wheel. And no kidding, if she, she must have been between 95 and 100. And she was literally just sort of, when we were waiting for the traffic lights to change, she was just sort of slouched, um, you know, up against the, the, wind, the driver's window. And I, I just, I nearly missed my traffic lights because I was just amazed that this, and it's, you know, it's, and again, it's, to some people, it's just their independence. But as, as I was saying, 20 miles an hour going along that road, the queue behind was just incredible, you know. So imagine that being on every street in Norwich that you can only go at 20 miles an hour. Well, in the city, there's problems parking and 
Rogue. I mean, you know, road work's going on at the moment anyway. But if you're going to be stuck behind a row of traffic that is not going any faster than 20 miles an hour, you're not going to want to go anywhere. No, you're not. And to be honest, I do wonder, like, whether with the... And, and I have absolutely no scientific basis for this at all. You'll be surprised to know. But, I mean, I always feel that when you have slow-moving traffic, it actually creates more pollution because, you know, vehicles aren't moving mm. as efficiently, you know, areas are being displaced. So you actually end up with a lot more fumes mm-hmm. around. And I wonder whether there's actually going to be an increase in kind of issues around yeah. air quality because of this cut down to 20 mm. miles an hour. I mean, I just, I, I can see what it's trying to achieve. I'm just not but isn't that, sure that it's isn't, going to achieve it. And I think, Isn't that something that they were saying in the city um, uh, a couple of, a few years ago, that um, the bus, everybody was to, had to turn their engines off because whilst you were just sitting there, that, you know, that was polluting the air. So surely if you're all just driving along at a really slow pace, then that's going to double the pollution that it would be if you'd move through that that position five minutes earlier. Yeah, I'm not convinced that engines are designed to go at 20 miles no. an hour efficiently. Again, no evidence based for that at all. I'm just saying I don't agree with it. And so therefore, I'm, I'm basically doing the opposite of what I should be doing as someone who says I do a lot of evidence-based decision-making, which is I'm just using my gut and saying this seems to make mm-hmm. sense. And so therefore... I'll go with it. Um, but I think generally it's to decrease the number of accidents and the number of injuries and fatalities on roads, which is laudable. I'm not entirely sure, and I have looked at this, that the research actually says that this is the way to do that. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure it actually says it doesn't make a huge amount of difference at all, and it's more anecdotal. Um but you know what? It, it's in place now. Well, yeah, only time will tell. You, <laughs> as soon as you went to Wales and you see the dark clouds, you drop down to 20 miles yeah. an hour. Unless, of course, you're on the M4, in which case, don't drop down to 20 <laughs> miles an hour because someone's going to drive into the back of you. <laughs> but, but the, and that's the other thing you said about it's going to reduce the accidents. To me, you're going to get more distracted because you're just going so slow. So you'll be looking thinking, well, can I do this? What should I do? You know, it, it's just... Oh, good. So so you drive fast for the entertainment. <laughs> it's far more entertaining doing 60 than it is 20. Oh, God. I am, I'm one of the worst people in the world for that. If, I, um, if I'm in a car, I'm supposed to be moving. If I'm in a car and I'm in a traffic jam... I get so frustrated. I'm, I'm sorry. Do, do, do you want to do, do you want to reword that? If I'm in a car, I'm supposed to be moving. Is that the, um, no. is, is that is that really the phraseology you want to use? <laughs> in a car, the car moves. I'm supposed to be moving. <laughs> You're going to have to explain that one to me I later. Like <laughs> is my naivety kicking in now? <laughs> yes, it is. Um. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah, I just think that uh, I don't think it's necessary. I think it just needs people to be more aware that if you're driving at 30 miles an hour and you knock a child over, that can be fatal. 20 miles an hour, it's less chance of it being fatal. And that's what they need to make people more aware of. Do you remember whenever we were younger, that was the campaign, wasn't it? You, you, you and I were never younger at the same time. Stop <gasps> saying that. <laughs> that is so cruel. 
<laughs> no, I was a lot younger than you. <laughs> well, you just had to go with some. You just had to go with some little lady. So I think the least you could do is take it in return. <laughs> when you're ninety-five you. and barely looking over the steering wheel, um, <laughs> I know. No, but if you'd have seen, I, I'm no kidding that that really was a very worrying situation. But there we are, you know, it's, and I, yeah, I totally, I don't think that older people should stop driving. It's their independence. If it gets them out and about, as long as they get there in one piece, then that's what matters. You know, I, I remember my grandfather was driving up till his 90s and I went over and saw him. Um, and on his front steps, there was an empty glass that stunk of <gasps> gin. And I looked at his car and there was no wing mirror, and the bumper was like half off. And so I went in and I said, when did you have the gin? And he was like, well, I, I had it on my way back. <laughs> and I was like, back from where? And he said, well, I went, I went in to have a look at the markets. I was like, right, okay. So we went through all of this and he was like, no, 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 I'm perfectly safe. I'm perfectly safe. And it was like, well, do you think you've gone to the point where you shouldn't be driving? And he was like, no, no, no one is taking that from me. So I had a word with his GP and his GP did a kind of, and I will say it wasn't as simple as saying, oh, just, you know, go and see your GP. Um, the next time his GP saw him, they did a few kind of tests. And they said, we can't stop him from driving. We can notify the DBLA. Um, but he basically said to him, I'm advising you to now stop driving. And I can notify the DBLA, which, which can invalidate your insurance. And he looked at this guy and said, oh, that's the best news I've ever had. Everyone has been forcing me to drive all my life. And now finally, Something. other people are going to be driving me around. And yeah. I looked at yeah. him and I just thought, you yeah. it. <laughs> and so, you know, it, as much yeah. as it's great to have them on the road, I think I will say there becomes a time where regular retesting yeah. is a really good yeah. thing. And But then again, I think everyone should have to go through some kind of oh, retest, God, no. irrespective of no. age. No. Well, to, to be honest, we need less people like you on the road. And, and <laughs> Take it back. No, I, 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 I'm a very, very good driver. I'll have you, have you know. And you are actually. You are a very good driver. Yes, I am, aren't I? I, I especially whenever somebody of, needs to get to Chroma can... early, quite quickly. Then. Oh, all right, all right. Let's not go there. <laughs> Jesus. Um, no. I, I, well, actually, I remember something about that journey, actually, which made me hold on for dear life. It's okay. I'm no, no. But when I, I did my, I, I absolutely love driving. And if I lost my license, I really don't know what I would do. I don't know how I'd ever cope with being restricted to, to public transport in the nicest possible way or taxis. Um, but I, uh, don't worry, Rishi's got you covered, <laughs> but whenever I did, I passed my first test time, my test first time that, gosh, how on earth did that come out? Um, did you pass your test first time? Nope. No, but I passed. I, I passed did second you? time. So I did mine the first time, but I remember thinking as I pulled up after I'd done my test and thought if I failed, I am never getting in a car again. And I didn't, luckily I, I passed. But now I, I am a, I just think you have to be totally aware all the time. But no, I could not. If they told me to do another test, I know I'd fail it. But um, no, to be fair, I've been in the car with you. I think you'd be fine. I think it would just be the nerves. But actually, you are a, like, we don't need a podcast for this. You're a good driver. <laughs> Worry less about it, honestly. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, do hope that they don't retest you to put that 
to, to, to just check that. Um, but, yeah, but um, but no. And I, I, if I was listening to this podcast, if I haven't already turned off, I definitely would have now. Um, moving on okay, now. So the only thing I no. wanted to mention, um, because we are definitely moving away from that topic now, um, you know, I was thinking after yeah, the last yeah. podcast that we did, um, where we were talking about, you know, climate crisis and committees to, to look at this and the additional administration and the time that it takes to do these things. And, you know, I was thinking about all the things that we do that takes up so much time in local councils. And I was thinking about stuff like procurement and I was thinking about stuff like HR and I was thinking about that every council has to do and has to duplicate just the amount of time, HR, um, procurement, and to be fair, audit as well, and the external auditor cost. And some of the requirements from them is just bizarre what they will ask for so unnecessarily. Um, and I will say at this point, always passed. Every time I've worked directly for a council, always passed the external auditor. Yeah. No issues, no comments, yeah. no problems. So this is not sour grapes. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, whenever we have issues with councillors, um, it's the monitoring officer that does the investigation. When we have elections, it's the principal council that does that. The district, in our case, um, collected the uh, the council tax. And I was thinking, you know, a lot of the larger authorities actually outsource their procurement to another district or county council or kind of pool it together with others because it is such mm -hmm. a yeah. it, it's such a minefield with, with having to do procurement and to go out and go through it and some of us will have used the ESPO framework and most of the time you have to go further competition in order to even use the frameworks and I was thinking you know what would be really good is if actually the principal councils took on a lot of the dross, which actually doesn't improve life for people. I mean, HR, they are far better at managing, to the most part, I suspect, HR, rather than it being like a hornet's nest inside small councils, where it is just big personalities and small councils. And actually taking that out and, and saying, actually, HR it, like is administered by the principal council, to give some cover to both the employees and also to give some independence to, for the councillors to make decisions in terms of HR. Um, and I just think it takes up so much time that it could actually be done productively by the limited officers that are in place. And the same with procurement. You know, we, we're expected to be 101 things and experts in all of them. And if not, as I've seen in Wales with... I think Audit Wales picked up on a few procurement issues with some councils there. And I was thinking, you know, they went out for three quotes and they should have actually done a, a full tender and, and there were numerous kind of things like that. And I thought, you know, why aren't principal councils doing this? And it should be a requirement for, as we're looking at devolution and stuff coming down to, you know, local authorities and down to our communities, um, actually, we should be taking on the stuff that really affects change. And, you know, we're already doing far more than we ever were before. So we're already far busier. Well, how about you take some of the stuff off us that doesn't actually improve the lives of people in the communities and can be done like by the principal councils because they do it for their own stuff. You're not telling me that an extra 50 staff would, would actually like cost that much more 
And actually, you know, we could pay it. You know, we pay for elections. We could pay a charge. Mm. And that would yeah, just you... make so much more sense. Yeah. That the, the more complex stuff that actually drags councils down um, is actually administered by the principal mm. council. And the stuff that actually makes a positive impact and we can do, we take on and, and we kind of make a success of it. Yeah. And actually, we, we need to be looking at how we can do things like this instead of we're doing far more stuff constantly. And the expectation from everyone is that while the principal councils, not all of them, you know, some principal councils are issuing Section 114 notices because they're going back to statutory services because they've basically bankrupted themselves. Well, none of us are in that position. We're all nevertheless expected to be experts on all of these matters of procurement, of HR, of all of these things, stick up to the principal council. They're already experts on it. They administer all of this. We would like to think you know, it, it should Look be up, I mean, a requirement for it to be offered, not a requirement for local councils to take it up, that they can make their own arrangements if they want to. But there should be a necessity to offer it um, and for it to be a... a perhaps a fee-driven like service that, that should be offered, which I think will actually bring people, because let's face it, no one wants to deal with HR. People hate the stuff like procurement and bids. Yeah, but it's, it's not necessarily wanting to deal with HR. It's, it's knowing, you know, what the rules and regulations are and, and what authority you have and, you know, how to deal with somebody who needs to be taken to task for something or other. You know, you, you can't, you, as, a, as a town clerk or um, a CEO, you, you can't know all of those things. You know, you, there, there's so many other things. Well, you, you can know, but why are you... Yeah. That's it, it so is. much time taken and out I guess, of your hands. Um, no, I think that's an excellent idea. Know, I think all, that is really something that that should be district councils should you take. Know, all I'm thinking on board. In, in terms of, and you know, this isn't to undermine the independence of pound and tar- parish and town councils. Like, and it's not something to no, no. But I was thinking, you know, monitoring officers do investigations into councillors in the same way as an HR committee would would look at an employee. And actually, how come when it comes to staffing, you're required to pretty much, unless you have a really good kind of internal candidate, unless you have staff internally who are up on the the most current, and HR is constantly changing in terms of what's required in contracts, and and all of these things, unless you have someone who's really up on it, you always pay anyway to have someone external doing it. And for the most part... They're normally a few hundred miles away and they'll say, oh, this is what you should do. And it still falls to individuals to do it. And I think you get that toxicity sometimes where it's small councils that it then turns into, you know, splits in members supporting one officer, members supporting the other. Everyone gets drawn into it. And I was just thinking about it, looking at some of the issues that some councils have. And I was just thinking, you know, sometimes you just need the independence of maybe another authority looking at this and saying, well, this is what you do. We have absolutely no kind of, we, you know, we, we have no vested interest. We are just telling you and, and administering the more complex or the more contentious stuff, especially for the smaller councils where you're talking about, you know, one, two, three employees where actually these things can get 
sometimes far bigger than they need to. And actually, if they'd just have had an intervention from mm. an independent professional early on, that this would all have been sorted. And so I was just thinking, you know, if members have it with monitoring officers, which takes that out of the hands of the town, parish and community councils, then I think officers should be offered the same independence in, in terms of dealing with contracts and dealing with mm. HR. And of course, you know, appraisals and performance should still be done in-house, but can always be liaised upon. And then I just thought I'd shove procurement in there because most people, to be honest, get procurement wrong in that. It's not saying town parish and community councils do because the majority of them know it inside out because they've they've got to but a lot of district councils you know mm -hmm. they, they don't entirely understand it completely and so they turf it out so why not take it all for all the you know town community parish councils and then you know let someone else do it basically and let's just get on with making life better for people this is it it's, it's the time it's the time consuming that, that it it takes um to do all of those things and and under you know under some circumstances it can take hours weeks days you know days and weeks to to, to get things um you know to fruition so on the hr side of it i think that's that's an excellent uh, i think that everything you've said is is totally right and it should be it should be out there for more um districts to take to take it on board and i guess if you i guess maybe it should be that it's Absolutely. there if you want it completely voluntary um if you if you felt that yeah if you if you felt that you know we, we're okay um but i know even you the experience that you've got and the knowledge that you've got we you know you still need to ask people for advice no I don't. um that that is being and, completely uh, edited and, and, out because <laughs> that is a falsehood i've never had to ask for advice from anyone <laughs> so take it all back um but it but it does you know and even the heavens you know you can be doing something for years and then suddenly think well has that changed is that right who do i go to to you know to, to just let me know that i am doing the right thing where if um if you have got somebody um at district level um and you you can pay a fee for it but you, the fee that you would pay to an outside company that's a a couple of hundred miles away uh, would be a lot more extortionate than what you would pay, be paying if you were paying your local exactly. district council. And I will it? say you're, so, you just hit um, the nail on so, the head, which is things change so regularly. And unfortunately, and this is not across the board, um, you end up with some, and I, I basically, oh, well, I'll just say, you end up with some councillors that perhaps were in business a decade or two ago and so base all the HR decisions they believe the council should make upon experience from yeah. 20 years ago. And yeah. unfortunately, that just doesn't wash. And stuff like, you know, the Equalities Act, yeah. you know, and, and this is not a pointed comment, but the Equalities Act was brought in because of people who were trying to do HR 20 years ago and they were doing such a bad job. We needed the Equality Act. And so therefore yeah. saying that, you know, I'm experienced my, my 20 year ago experience of this, it, you know, generally is actually worse to have than having absolutely no experience at all. And this is it. But, you know, even just when like you say things are changing, even just for you to read up on how things have changed um, and, and is ever you know, constantly changing, it's time consuming, isn't it? And then you need to recheck it to make sure that you're actually what you're going to do and what you're going to say 
is the right interpretation because again everything is is you you can interpret things in many ways so you need to know that you've interpreted it the for the legal legality of it and um and yeah and it is so time consuming totally agree with everything you said how are you going to uh, bring that to fruition then and on that note i would normally be pressing (laughs) the end kind of sequence but i haven't managed to get it back from last time when i deleted it so i will just insert end sequence here and then everything will be okay thank you for listening to the standing orders podcast by politis please like and subscribe to get your weekly edition you can suggest topics by emailing podcast at politisconsulting.co.uk see you next week